George Haas was the first person to ever hack an iPhone. And in the seven or ten years since he did that, he's been uh, focused solely on solving the problem of autonomous driving. So um, he's got a really bizarre, and I mean that in the nicest way possible, or unique way of looking at things. So let's go ahead and just jump into some of these notes that I took from the uh, this podcast on artificial intelligence. So first off, he says something that's kind of provoking and I think meant to be provoking. He says, I would like to move to virtual reality. I would like to physically move there. Now, that seems a little bizarre in today's world, but uh, one of my favorite fiction books that I've read in the past year or two was uh, Ready Player One. And I think if they can have some kind of virtual reality that's that immersive, I think that'll be a very, I think a lot of people are unhappy in their lives. And if they could kind of distract themselves through unhappiness uh, and, and from their unhappiness rather, um, and do and do kind of live vicariously in, in virtual reality. I think a lot of people would actually um, would actually do that. Um, so he says, I read a book in 2006 called Gray Hat Hacking. I realized that if you acquired these sort of powers, you could control the world. I didn't know much about computers back then. I started with electronics. My first iPhone hack was physical. And what he means by um, if you could if you could acquire these sort of powers, you can control the world uh, by understanding and um, the way the way things are put together, understanding systems, understanding that they always have vulnerabilities and exploiting those. So he says, what's uh, what's he was asked the questions? Well, what systems have vulnerabilities these days? And he says everything does. Um, he actually com- he talked a little bit on the podcast how he competes in these like these bounty programs where it's a you know, they make it a competition. They even have teams where it's like if you can identify, sometimes they're real scenarios, sometimes they're manufactured. Um, but basically, they, they, the fairly large technology companies uh, realize something about like the power of incentives and realizing, hey, of course we have vulnerabilities. We just haven't identified them. So let's put a dollar amount on them and incentivize other people to, to discover them. And then we'll obviously pay like a reward or what they call a bounty. Uh, when doing so, I think that's actually a really good idea. It could be applied to different, a couple different other domains too. So he says, uh, "What if he was asked the question? What have you learned broadly about the design of systems? You learn, and this is, I think, for me, the most one of the most important things he he says in the entire podcast. And again, I think applies broadly to life. He says, "You learned to not take things for what people say they are, uh, but you look at things for what they actually are. I understand that is what you tell me it is, but what does it do?" Um, he says, vulnerabilities exist in the world. Nation states have them. High-powered bad actors have them. Um, this was fascinating. He was actually approached. He thought he, he could um, he could find like a, a faster way to, to, to create an autonomous vehicle. And a few years ago, Elon Musk offered him $12 million if he could do that. So let me read this note. Um, he says, Elon Musk was looking for someone to build a version, a vision system for autopilot. We talked about a contract. He met with Elon. He said, I would... Uh, this is the the details of the contract. He said, I would deliver something that meets mobile eye level performance, which is the, the subcontractor that Tesla was using at the time. They don't use it anymore. It's a few years ago. He said, I would get $12 million if I could deliver tomorrow. I would lose a million dollars each month if I couldn't deliver. So he works on it for a year. And he, if he's unsuccessful, he makes nothing. Let's say he can deliver it in four months. Well, then he need to make $8 million. He wound up not being able to do that. Um... He says, in life, I usually get away with saying stupid things. Elon is very sharp. He immediately called me out on it. Most people don't even notice. Then he talks about like his main goal in life is solving, like creating an autonomous level five vehicle. And he's not really doing it for the money. He wants to create, do hard problems. He says, in his own words, he says money doesn't matter to him. But he says, in life, um, he says, if I sell out to make money, I sold out. It doesn't matter. What do I get? A yacht? I don't want a yacht. 
Uh, then he talks a little bit about the entire discussion was on autonomous vehicles. So if you're interested in that, um, Lex Friedman, this is becoming one of my favorite podcasts because I know nothing, <laughs> nothing about artificial intelligence other than like what's reported in the media. And I've read some papers on it, et cetera. But like, I don't actually know. I can't distinguish between like what is like marketing speak and what is actual fact. So I'm using the podcast as like a, a course on artificial intelligence, if you will. So he says, Tesla's going to win level five. They really are. Tesla's gathering data on a scale no one else is. They're putting real users behind the wheel. The incremental strategy is the only one that works. That's what he calls the strategy that Tesla's um, using, the incremental strategy. Um, oh, Lex then mentions the fact that uh, when... So when George is communicating with people that are interested in his work through comma AI, he does it in a real casual way. He'll do live streams. He'll do just videos on his iPhone. Um, and so Lex really liked that. And I actually like that too. He says, the way you make videos for your company is awesome. So it says he live streams videos from his phone. Um, if stuff goes a little wrong, you just go with it. It is real. It is beautiful. And in contrast to the way other companies would put to get, get together videos like that. I think that is actually what people love, that it's genuine. This is also something, the more I, I um, the more of my, like, my own consumption habits are, have skewed towards like podcasts and YouTube, the, the harder it is for me to sit down and watch like a scripted show or like traditional media for this very reason. Like you can just see where they're going. The fact that like no one talks like that in real life, but that's how people write into a script. And I just, I, I, I would prefer a shaky, unedited um, video from a company founder than one where it's like been highly rehearsed. You know, somebody else wrote the words for him. Like, I just, I don't like that. I like the real grittiness. And I think a lot of people, I mean, that's why there's this rise of other forms of media. You know, why you have people listening to podcasts in the, in the numbers of millions. Um, same with YouTube videos because it just feels more genuine. Um, he says, before we ship a consumer product that can drive cars. So his whole idea is making hardware currently the the hardware comma ai um manufacturers works with i think about 45 different cars but it's like uh, considered like level two basically like lane assist is what it's called like similar to what autopilot is today uh the comma ai's version is called um open pilot so he says before we ship a consumer product that can drive cars meaning level five i want to make sure i have a driver monitoring system that you can't cheat so that's one of his criticisms of tesla is that you know, they, they, they tell you don't take your hands off the wheel, don't, don't not pay attention, and yet you see videos online of, like, people sleeping, which is extremely stupid uh, with their Tesla or, like, doing their nails or reading a book, you know, that kind of stuff. It's just like, well, if you have a driver monitoring system, uh, the autopilot or the open pilot system would automatically disengage when it notices that the person's not paying attention. Um, so he says uh, one large, he has a really interesting idea of like, even if you never get to full autonomy, right? Like no steering wheel in the car, it's completely automated. You can actually reduce because right now about a million people a year, um, die from traffic accidents. And so he says that like, if you, if you really figure out like what a large percentage of the fatalities come from, it comes from people being drunk, distracted, or asleep. So he says a huge success for driver assist programs, again, what open pilot is and what autopilot is today would be if they fix drivers that are drunk, distracted, and asleep because there's a large percentage of fatalities. So maybe you can even, even without getting the, the point there is even without getting to the, to, um, full autonomy, let's say you can make driving two, two times as uh, safe or three times as safe, just two times as safe. It reduces tra traffic fatalities by a half a million a year, five million in a decade. That's that's like that's a good thing to dedicate your life to doing, isn't it? 
Um, so he says, oh, they had a really interesting idea. So right now, Kama AI is losing money. Good chance it goes bankrupt by its own, um, you know, admission. He's not claiming to be, like, great at that, although he does think he has a ability to, like, at least get the company to break even. But he's saying, in a hypothetical situation, if you want to figure out like a long-term plan, like how could Kama AI become extremely valuable? And so he says, this is a long-term idea for Kama to make money, be a car insurance company. So he says, if I can make tr driving twice as safe, uh, not only that, I have the best data set to see who statistically are the safest drivers because he has a driver monitoring system. He knows what w what's happening. So he, uh, if we see you driving unsafe, we won't insure you. This causes a bifurcation in the market uh, because the only people who can get Kama insurance are the who can't get common insurance, excuse me, are the bad drivers. He says other companies like Geico can insure them. That's when you use by bifurcation. So their, their premiums are crazy high because it's all the bad drivers pulled together. Our premiums are crazy low. We would win car insurance. We could take over the whole market. He also is kind of open, open about a lot of things. So he says our burn rate is about $200,000 a month and our revenue is about $100,000 a month. We need to 4X our revenue. We, the only way they make money right now is they, sh they sell things at their, at their shop. So it's shop.comma.ai. And he said, you know, to me, that is respectable revenues. We make it by selling products to consumers, and we are honest and transparent about what they are and what they can do. Uh, he's, and then he has a, this is what I mean about a unique point. I feel the same way where, um, like, I don't know, this, this drive in humans to, like, just become famous and well-known for the sake of being famous and well-known is, is freaky to me. I'm, I'm the opposite. I, like... <laughs> I don't want personal attention. I want attention for my work, of course, and the things I do. But the idea that like I want to be like famous is is very bizarre to me. And I know that it was it was disheartening. I've seen like um like uh, surveys of younger kids about what do you want to be when you grow up, and like one of the top ones all the time is famous. It's just like well, that's not that's not like a a goal in it. It shouldn't be a goal in and of itself. But his point is, is like I don't want attention from the masses. Uh, so I like how he separates this. He goes, I want attention from people who I respect. I respect people who have skills. I would like to be known among people who have real skills. So he's saying, like, I don't want everybody to know who I am, but if you're into autonomous driving and software and other things, like, yeah, I would like to be known that I, I'm a skilled person. So that, that, that makes sense to me. And then finally, he talks a lot about, um, like, the purpose of life is work. And he at first I was like, oh, that, that's an interesting... Like, that's kind of like a, a hardcore thought there, but he, he clarified it, and it makes a lot more sense when he clarifies it. So he says, when I say that life is work, what I mean is that work gives my life meaning. I don't mean that every minute of the day you should be working. I don't think that is be the best way to maximize results. If you are working 12 hours a day, you should be working smarter, not harder.